Okay, let's see. If you have Bibles with you, you can open them up to Galatians chapter 5. I have been preaching a series of messages on freedom. I'm going to continue that series today. The reason I'm doing this is I had a vision. And in the vision, these two heavenly beings who've come to me often came and quoted to me Galatians chapter 5, verse 1, and they each shared a part of it. The spirit of revelation, standing on my right-hand side, said, It is for freedom that Christ has set you free. And the spirit of wisdom, standing on my left, responded. He says emphatically, Stand firm then, and do not let yourselves be burdened again by a yoke of slavery. The spirit of revelation repeated. He said, it is for freedom that Christ has set you free. And wisdom responded even more emphatically. Stand firm then and do not let yourselves be burdened again by a yoke of slavery. And they continued that five times. And then it was like, like a bubble pop, boop, and the vision was over. I'm thinking, I think that's important. I think that's significant. Right? So that was on July 1st. It was the 35th anniversary of my becoming a Christian. Sometimes God speaks to me on that day. And so I shared that with you a few weeks back, and then we began to make applications. Like, okay, so it seems like it's important that we hold on to the freedom that's ours, that we stand firm in that freedom. And I began to think, how do we remain free? And so I told you that in order for us to resist a yoke of slavery, to not allow ourselves be burdened, to be burdened again by a yoke of slavery, that the best way for us to do that would be a people who love. One of my favorite Bell Hooks quotes, it says, the moment we choose to love, we begin to move toward freedom. And I believe that's absolutely true. I believe that the path of freedom is marked by love. And Scripture bears that out. In Matthew 22, Jesus says, Love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your mind. This is the first and greatest commandment. The second's like it. Love your neighbor as yourself. All the law and prophets hang on these two commandments. All the law and prophets, everything that you need to do as a believer, hangs on these two. Love. Love God, love people. The path to freedom, to staying in what, God, what Christ has already won for us, is marked by love. Paul echoes that beautifully, simply, in verse 6 of Galatians 5, when he says that the only thing that counts is faith expressing itself through love. It's the only thing that counts. The only thing that counts as we live this life as believers, as we live this life uh, in a faithful walk, a walk of faith with our God, the only thing that counts is that faith expressing itself through love. A few weeks after that, um, a few weeks ago, I, I took that concept of freedom and I wanted to address what I felt was one of the activities in church today that seemed to rob people of freedom. And it's the whole area of giving. What do we do with our money? I think... Lots of bad things have been done over the years in churches because of people's need for or want of uh, money from the congregation. And so I thought we'd take a good biblical look at it. We did. 
Because I, I want you to be free. It's so passionately important to me that you walk free as believers in your relationship with Jesus. And so we took a look at tithing from the Old Testament. We took a look at tithing in the New Testament, and I contrasted them for you. And then I made this claim that in my humble opinion, tithing is not, it's not the New Testament, the New Covenant standard for giving. I'm saying that tithing is evil or bad. I'm just saying it's not a rule and a regulation that you have to live under or you're a bad Christian. I think, I think it's done entirely differently. I think like everything else that this is supposed to be, giving is supposed to be a relational activity, not a legalistic activity. I think the New Testament standard for giving is everything. That doesn't mean I want you to give me all your money right now. That's not what I'm saying. But Jesus is the new covenant standard. He himself is the new covenant standard. He's our example. He gave all. He gave up everything. His whole life, all that he was, more than we could ever fathom. He gave everything. And so I think when it comes to giving, it's based on this. My life is not my own. I've been bought with a price. Right? Scripture... Uh, Paul says in Galatians chapter 2, I've been crucified with Christ. It's no longer I who live. But the life I now live, by the f I live in faith by the, the faith of the Son of God. I didn't quote that very right, did I, Donna? I was close. Thanks. The New Testament standard for giving, the New Covenant standard for giving, is everything. And so I challenged that we would ask better questions. Questions motivated by grace and not law. Questions motivated by freedom, not legalism. Questions motivated by relationship, not religious rules and regulations. Questions, questions born out of our intimate relationship with a Heavenly Father who loves us extravagantly, who loves us lavishly. Ask new questions. Questions like, Papa, <laughs> do you love me? All I have, all I am is yours. What do you want me to do with it? And then do whatever he tells you to do with it. Now, if he tells you to do 10%, well, that's between you and him. Do that. You know, but whatever he tells you to do, do that. And do that in faith. You know, just, you know, the scripture does say in that same part of 2 Corinthians 9, it says those who sow sparingly will reap sparingly. Those who sow generously will reap generously. There is still a law of sowing and reaping but not out of legalism, not out of rules and regulations, not out of bondage. Because the verses there go on to say, let each man give as he's determined in his own heart, not reluctantly or under compulsion. Another way to say it, God loves a cheerful giver. Another way to say that, and I think it would be a fair take on scripture, is let each man give freely based on his loving relationship with his heavenly father. Let each man give that way. And that's what I would like us to do. That's what I encourage you to do. With the point being this, do not let yourselves be burdened again by a yoke of slavery. I told you last week that you had not only freedom from things, but you had freedom for other things. Freedom from religious legalism. In Galatians um, chapter 5, it's so clear that's what Paul's talking about in the chapter. You know? You've been saved by grace. You don't have to go back to circumcision. You don't have to go back to the, to the Jewish Hebrew rules and regulations and laws. You've been set free from those regulations. 
So we've been set free from religious rules and regulations, but we've also been set free for other things, for living love. We've been set free to live love. We've been set free to live supernatural lives in the power of the Holy Spirit. I think that's the context of the chapter. So I encouraged you last week to practice and to experiment and to exercise living by the Spirit, to practice and experiment, keeping in step with the Spirit. All these messages are on our church website, thebridgelongisland.com. But today I want to talk about the price of freedom. There are many prices to freedom, but I want to mention three. I want to talk about blood, I want to talk about courage, and I want to talk about comfort. So you can, if your Bibles are open in Galatians 5, I'm just going to read verse 1. It's been resonating in my heart since July 1st, and I feel like it's the main thing he's given me to share. Paul writes to the church in Galatia, and he says, It is for freedom that Christ has set us free. Stand firm, then, and do not let yourselves be burdened again by a yoke of slavery. And Lord, I thank you for the power that's in your word, for the truth that's in your word. Lord, I, I believe in my heart, my heart vibrates with the truth that's in that one short verse. I pray that you would reveal to us the fullness of what is intended in your word here, and that we would be a people who live in the fullness of the freedom that is already ours in Christ Jesus. Let it be so. My personal ethos, the ethos that I've, I've given to this church that we've posted on our website, in four words, it's passion and freedom and spirit and destiny. Passion, freedom, spirit, and destiny. Freedom's a very high personal value to me, and I believe it's become a very high value for us here at the bridge. Freedom in Christ for that inf- intimate relationship. Freedom in the expression of our faith. Freedom to live in the fullness of the Spirit. Freedom is extremely valuable. And like all valuable things, it's very expensive. So let's talk about the price of freedom. Let's talk about the price of freedom as blood. Jesus won for us freedom from the consequences of of our sin, and the price he paid was his very own blood. Hebrews 9.22 tells us that without the shedding of blood, there's no forgiveness of sin. Every time we do communion, we remember this new covenant made in his blood every time um, that we take communion. 1 Corinthians 11 is usually the verses I'll use, 23 to 25, it says, For I received from the Lord what I also passed on to you, Paul writes. The Lord Jesus, on the night he was betrayed, took bread. And when he had given thanks, he broke it and said, This is my body, which is for you. Do this in remembrance of me. In the same way, after supper, he took the cup, saying, This cup is the new covenant in my what? In my blood. Do this whenever you drink it in remembrance of me. Jesus shed all of his blood, every drop of his blood, between the scourging he took and the the beating and the crucifixion. 
Reminds me of an old song. We did some classic um, vineyard songs this morning. I love, I love doing that, going down a very familiar road. But it reminded me, preparing this message, of an old song we used to sing years ago. When I first became a Christian, it says, He paid a debt he did not owe. I owed a debt I could not pay. I needed someone to wash my sins away. You remember this one, right, Donna? And now I sing a brand new song, Amazing Grace, the whole day long. Christ Jesus paid the debt that I could never pay. The need was freedom. The debt was sin, and the price was blood. Patriots in American history throughout the ages have paid the ultimate sacrifice for freedom. It was Thomas Jefferson who said that the tree of liberty from time to time must be replenished with the blood of patriots. And it's painfully true. Thomas Campbell, the Scottish poet, is the one who wrote that the patriot's blood is the seed of freedom's tree. Consider this. The 56 signers of the Declaration of Independence just to prove out those statements by, by both Jefferson and Campbell. Nine died from wounds or hardship during war. Five were captured in, and imprisoned. In each case, they were brutalized. Several lost their wives, their sons, their entire families. One lost all 13 of his children. Two had their wives brutally treated. All at one time or another were the victim of manhunts and driven from their homes. Twelve signers of the Declaration of Independence had their homes completely burned. Seventeen lost everything they owned. These men meant it when they wrote these words from that historic document. And for the support of this declaration, with the firm reliance on the protection of divine providence, we mutually pledge to each other our lives, our fortunes, and our sacred honor. Not one defected. Not one went back on his pledge or his word. Their honor and the nation that they sacrificed so much for, so much to create, still stands intact to this day. Shaky at times, but it still stands intact. Freedom is never free, and often the price is blood. So blood is a price of freedom. Another price of freedom is this courage. These men exhibited extraordinary courage. It takes courage to stand firm then and do not let yourselves be burdened again by a yoke of slavery. It requires courage. I love this quote from my, it's probably my all-time favorite movie. It's way up there on the list for me. And it's from Braveheart. And it's that classic scene where um, his countrymen, these, his Scottish countrymen, are about to abandon the field of battle when faced with King Edward the Longshanks, this incredible, vicious king, and his imposing forces. So as they're about to run away, in the movie, 
William Wallace rides up on this horse, his face is painted half blue, and he exhorts the men so they wouldn't leave. And he says this to them. Every time I need to have passion stirred up in me, I like to watch that movie. I love this part of it. He says, fight and you may die. Run and you'll live at least a while. And dying in your beds, many years from now, would you be willing to trade all the days from this day to that for one chance, just one chance, to come back here and tell our enemies that they may take our lives, but they'll never take our freedom. Pause. Yeah, goosebumps. Just thinking about it again. Sometimes to, to live free, to stand firm, and not allow ourselves to be burdened again by a yoke of slavery, it requires courage. These men needed courage to sustain their freedom. We too. We need courage to to remain, off, to remain free. It takes courage to stand firm. Why would we be told to stand firm unless there was something in us, some desire, some temptation to not stand firmly? Just like the Galatians, legalism, the law, religious rules and regulations, will relentlessly try to pull or push or lure us back into the cage. It takes great courage to resist going back into the cage. How many of you guys follow me on Facebook? Reading all my little quotes this week about a cage is still a cage, right? I don't care how much money you throw in it. Cage is still a cage. I don't care how polished it is, how brand new it is. I don't care how many of your family members and your friends really, really like it. <laughs> A cage is still a cage. I don't care if they give you a fancy title and paint your name on the door. If it's a cage, it's still a cage. There will be so many things in life that will tempt us to go back into that cage of religious legalism and rules and regulations. It's, the church has battled it from the first century. We'd be foolish to think we're immune from it. Don't go back in the cage. takes courage to resist going in the cage. Courage is required. There's a, a quote from an old article in a, from Christianity Today back in June of 2008. It's titled, How to Pick a President, Why Virtue Triumphs Policy. And it's written by Professors Daniel Taylor and Mark McClowski. And this is what they write. They said, in pre-modern times, the courage of a leader often had to be physical. However, in the last 500 years, it's more often moral. Moral courage is the ability to do what's right, even when it's deeply unpopular, even dangerous. Courage is only found where there is a genuine possibility of loss, loss of friends, Loss of reputation, loss of status, of power, possessions. And at the extremes, loss of freedom and life. Courage is required to do right things right. 
especially when faced with the possibility of great loss. Courage is required because if we choose to stand free, we could lose our reputation. We could lose respectability, especially with those who revere their cages. They've built big cages, <laughs> right? They put lots of money in those cages. They got little cages all over the country. <laughs> we could lose favor with those people. We could lose favor with the cage company and the cage manufacturers. And sometimes they get very angry when you tell them, I don't want your cage. One of my favorite William Young quotes, he's the author of The Shack. He says, you don't have to play by their rules if you don't require their rewards. If you want the rewards that are in the cage, well, then maybe you have to spend some time in the cage. A lot of us refer to that, to that as our jobs. <laughs> but we all have to make a decision. You know? How much of it's worth it? Courage in the faith. The apostles showed great courage to live out um, and what the, the responsibility they took forward with the church after Christ's resurrection. It required extraordinary courage. Peter was crucified upside down in Rome. Andrew was crucified by order of the Roman governor. James, the son of Zebedee, was beheaded in Jerusalem. John died in exile on the Isle of Patmos. Philip was crucified. Bartholomew was beaten, crucified, beheaded by the command of a king. Beaten, crucified, and beheaded. They really wanted to kill this guy, didn't they? Thomas was run through by spears of four soldiers in the East Indies. Matthew was slain by the sword in the city of Ethiopia. James, son of Alphaeus, was thrown from a pinnacle, then beaten to death. <laughs> Throw you off the pinnacle, and then beat you to death. <clears throat> Thaddeus was shot to death by arrows. Simon was sawn in, sawed in half. Matthias was stoned to death. They all had to have courage. It all required courage. No doubt the Apostle John had these friends of his in mind when he wrote Revelation 12, 11. They overcame him by the blood of the Lamb and the word of their testimony. And they did not love their lives so much as to shrink away from death. These were courageous men. Like the founding fathers of our country who followed them. They paid the price for freedom. So we look at blood, we look at courage. Another price is comfort. Now most of us here, thankfully, we will never have to pay the price that our founding fathers paid or that the apostles paid. Chances are in our lifetime. We, most of us will never be beaten for our faith. We'll never have to shed blood for our freedom. Some of our sons, some of our, our fathers as soldiers have done that. But most of us won't have to do that. But all of us, at one time or another, we'll have to sacrifice our personal comfort for our spiritual freedoms. 
It's not comfortable to lose your reputation. It's not comfortable to lose respectability. It's not comfortable to lose favor with men. Especially if you spent a lot of time building up that reputation and that respectability and garnering that favor. And it seems to me, in my experience, and probably yours as well, that this happens commonly during seasons of change or transition. The price of freedom, to navigate that change, to work through that time of transition is uncomfortable. To be free, to <laughs> when the cloud moves, to follow the cloud, it's, it's uncomfortable. Listen to Hebrews 12.1. Let the apostles and the founding fathers of our country, many of them men of great faith, and the great cloud of witnesses mentioned here in Romans 12, let them be an inspiration to you. The writer of Hebrews says this. He says, therefore, since we are surrounded by such a great cloud of witnesses, let us throw off everything that hinders and the sin that so easily entangles. And let us run with perseverance the race marked out for us. Right? The things that hinder us restrict our freedom. The sin that entangles us restricts our freedom. But let us throw off those things. And in throwing them off, let us run the path, the race that God's marked out for us. The race marked out for them was one of radical and dramatic change. What an amazing season of change in our nation as, as we were birthed. And because of that change, that, that incredible tumultuous time of transition, there was a great price to be paid. I don't know in human history to date that there's been any greater moment of change than Jesus' moment here on earth. His, his life, his death, his resurrection, and the birth of the church that surrounded it, a great price was paid in the midst of that time of transition and change. So the race marked out for them was one of radical and dramatic change, religious change, social, political change. The race marked out for us is replete with change. <laughs> How much change have we gone through in the last two years? We've gone through lots of change. Changed the pastor. We've changed the location of the church. We've changed people in the congregation. Been lots of change. There's been huge philosophical change in how we do what we do. I think we'd all agree it's at least been uncomfortable, right? Maybe we could find even more powerful language than that. But it does prove the point that change and transition, in order to stay free, it's going to cost us at least our comfort. Our personal comfort is challenged in seasons of change. So will we follow the example of the founding fathers and the apostles, or will we follow the example of the Pharisees? Jesus came to set people free from sin, from dead religious ritual, 
and from the traditions of men. He was doing Hebrews 10.9. He was taking away to establish. He was taking away the old to establish the new. The apostles gave their lives for the new. <laughs> the Pharisees took their lives to maintain the old. Jesus said it best this way in John 12. Verse 24 and 25, he says, I tell you the truth, unless a kernel of wheat falls to the ground and dies, it remains only a single seed. But if it dies, it produces many seeds. The man who loves his life will lose it. While the man who hates his life in this world will keep it for eternal life. The Pharisees loved their lives just the way they were, and they lost everything. They missed the Messiah. They wouldn't change. And so they weren't free. I think the biggest cage, the strongest cage, the most powerful cage, is the one that's labeled resistance to change. Keeps us locked in. Maybe compared to Unforgiveness is the only other one that's equally powerful. But that marks change also, doesn't it? I have to, if I'm going to forgive somebody, <laughs> then I have to change how I'm going to approach them or how I'm going to interact with them or how I'm going to deal with them. It takes me back to the beginning. The path to freedom is marked by love. Forgiveness is an extraordinary expression of loving people. It keeps keeps us free. It keeps us out of the cage. Lots of quotes in today's message. Nikki Parara, favorite quote, says, in the cage there's food. Not much, but there's food. Outside are only great stretches of freedom. There will always be something appealing something that draws you, something that's desirable inside the cage. But remember this, it's still a cage. Comfort's found outside the box. Comfort's found outside the cage. Excuse me, let me say that again. Comfort is found inside the box. Comfort is found inside the cage. Freedom is what's found outside the box. Change is uncomfortable, and that discomfort tempts us to stay in the cages. But it really doesn't matter how comfortable you make it or how familiar it is. The cage really is still a cage. You can even decorate it with candles and crosses. <laughs> the cage is still a cage. God speaking through Isaiah the prophet said, in Isaiah 43, forget the former things. Do not dwell on the past. See, I'm doing a new thing. Now it springs up. Do you not perceive it? Often it's our preference for comfort over freedom that blinds us to the new thing that God's doing. Often it's our preference for the familiar or the way we always did things or the old church philosophy that we operated under. It makes it so difficult for people to change. Even when, even when, 
It's God himself who's doing a new thing. So God is doing a new thing. It's all around us in forms of transition and change. And no doubt, more is coming. No doubt there's more change coming. God's merciful, and so we go through these things, and there's an ebb and a flow, and he allows us to catch our breath. But we would be foolish to think, oh, well, that's all behind us now. We'll never have to deal with that again. Right? (laughs) No doubt there's more coming. And some of it we may be able to see on the horizon, and some other things may be completely surprising to us. I've learned again and again and again, his ways are not my ways. And boy, oh boy, does he surprise me. You know? He seems to delight in surprising me. So, you know, we've just, we've just gotten to the other side of what has been, for most uh, of you, for the life of this congregation, Radical and dramatic change. And you guys have paid the price. And I commend you. And so catch your breath. And today will be fun having a barbecue and enjoying one another. But no doubt, no doubt, somewhere down the road, near or far, there will be more change. And so learn the lessons that you've learned from this one and so you can apply them to the next one. So I challenge you, when God's changing things, embrace it. Don't resist it. I encourage you to be bold and be strong and be brave. I encourage you to get out of your cages and don't go back into them. Because this is what God said to me. And this is what's written in his word. It's what Paul wrote to the Galatians. It is for freedom that Christ has set you free. You've been set free by Jesus for this purpose to live free, to live in the fullness of that freedom. Do not let yourself be burdened again by a yoke of slavery, even if that yoke looks comfortable. Consider those who've gone before us, and even more so, consider those who will follow in our footsteps. There are people who will follow our lead. And this concerns me more than anything else. If I walk into a cage, (laughs) they'll walk into the cage right behind me. I don't want that for me, but I really don't want it for them. Freedom, an old friend, a wise friend, told me once, freedom is worth fighting for. Let us be a people who live our lives in the fullness of the freedom that's ours in Christ Jesus. It's worth the price. Let's pray. Father, I thank you for the, for the blood and the courage of the apostles, the saints, the great cloud of witnesses who've gone before us. I thank you, Lord, for the founding fathers of this country all the brave men and women who for the last 235 years laid so costly a price upon the altar of freedom their very lives 
Jesus, I thank you for the price that you paid and shedding every drop of your love, of your blood, in your love, so that I could be free, so that my friends could be free. I pray that we would live lives worthy of the calling, live lives worthy of the price that was paid. We live lives that are free. Lord, I pray that you would open our eyes to see the cages. And give us hearts that burn with freedom. Give us hearts that burn for freedom. And give us the courage that we need to deny ourselves and take up our crosses daily when necessary. And follow you outside the cage. And lead other men and women outside the cage. Make that so, God. Make it so. Lord, I ask that you would make it so in Jesus' name. Amen? Hmm. I want you guys to be free with all of my heart. I want you to be free. Hmm. I just feel the presence of God that I'm tempted to want to stop right now, but let's just, can we just wait a couple of minutes? Lord, thank you for your presence. Lord, set us free today. I pray that you would remove from, from each of us any remnant, any remaining yokes of slavery. Get it off our backs, oh God. We're tired of carrying this. Take that yoke off of us and replace it with what you said is your yoke that is easy and your burden that's light. We can't carry this yoke anymore. Lord, I pray that you would take the shackles off our wrists and our ankles and from around our throats. Break them off. Lord, I pray for my friends that you would give them dreams and visions of the road ahead. Give them dreams and visions, oh God. Give them courage for the days ahead. Thank you, Lord. You have something, Jenny? Mm. And right now, 
you. Anybody else? Yeah? Jill? Mm, no strings attached. That's good. I like that. No strings attached to his ways, right? That's good. Glenn. Thank you, Glenn. Mm-hmm. Thank you. Anybody else? Yes. Uh-huh. Oh. You heard chains breaking? Wow, cool. That's awesome. I like that. The sound of chains breaking. That's cool. Anybody else? This is good. Thanks for sharing your hearts. So we'll be at uh, Paul and Anna's at 2 o'clock. Bring your lawn chairs, bring some, some food, beverages, whatever you signed up to bring. If you want to go swimming, bring towels with you. And, uh, and we'll have a bunch of fun together. If you need um, directions, see Paul. I love you guys. I'll see you later.